You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. So, uh, guess who made it on time this morning? I did. Yay, good job, Grace. I was telling, if you don't remember last episode, I woke up late, like way after my alarm, and I had to take an Uber here. But this morning, I was so freaked out about waking up late that I woke up in like a cold sweat, like half hour before my alarm. Like, oh my God, I'm late. And then I was like, <laughs> had to check the clock a million times. I have this total, I have this total fear of like waking up late. And even before I go to bed, so like I'll set my alarms. I set two alarms always. I set three last night. I never do that, but I was like, yeah. I need to. Yeah, no. And you set the alarms and then I put the phone down. And then I'm like, well, let me just check to make sure I actually said it. And then I'm like, let me go to sleep. <laughs> then I'm like, well, let me just check. And my anxiety has spilled over into Matt, whether or not he has set his alarms, because he's had to start getting up early, too. So Matt will, like, hand me his phone to, like, plug it in, which is on my side of the bed. And you check his alarm. Oh and I'm like, God. did you set an alarm? And he's like, yes. I'm like, let me just check for you. Like, seriously. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I, I get so anxious about it. It's the worst feeling in the world. That's like me checking my space heater before I leave work. I check it like 12 times, yeah. even though it's like I know that I do certain, like I lock my computer, I turn off the space heater, and that's it. But I still feel the need to be like, did I actually turn it off? And I have to like reach back there to, I can't even feel the front to make sure it's off. I have to like feel the button. Mm-hmm. So humans are weird. Yeah. I'm stressed, I guess. Yeah. But I made it. That's all that matters. Yeah. I guess today's the day and uh, today's the day after history. Did you see the verdict in the house? Yes. Yes. Impeached, baby. Impeached. So we'll see what happens in the Senate. I mean, we all know what's going to happen in the Senate. But, but. Come January. We'll see. All righty. Well, on that anyway, note. Anyway, hello. Good morning. A single <laughs> tear runs down our face. Oh, yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Chelsea. This is the Good Evening Girls. Yes. And um, this is Two Girls, One Crossword. What is it? Your favorite weekly pod word crosscast. Ooh. Okay. I have it written down. Oh. I know. But I like. And I, I'm not impressed. I like furtively looked at it and I was like, yes, I got this. So, anyway. Um, do we have any corrections corners this week? I don't. I do. I do, actually, because I... Uh... So if y'all last week remember, we were talking about American Values Club. Yeah. Crossword. Oh, I, yes, I saw um, this on And Twitter. I, like, spread false information, as I am wont to do. Um, and so Jesse Lansner, um, who is a listener, thanks, Jesse, uh, wrote to us and um, told us... I was saying that, like, the American Values Club pays constructors more than the New York Times, which is not true. The base <gasps> rate is lower, but according to Jesse, which I think he probably knows or they probably know what they're talking about, um, constructors at American Values Club share like part of the tips, so it's possible to end up with higher pay. But if you're really interested, you can contact Ben at American Values Club. That's what Jesse said, not me. But I'm also agreeing with Jesse. You can also contact Ben if you want to learn more. Um, and Jesse also wrote to us to say that we were. I was complaining about Bosox as like a answer mm-hmm. in I think it was a Sunday or Saturday puzzle or something like that, and I'm like, I never heard anybody call the Boston Red Sox Bosox. Yeah. Um, and my boyfriend Matt was also like, "What the fuck is this answer?" And he Jesse says Bosox is somewhat common is a somewhat common print abbreviation. See also Chai Sox for Chicago White Sox, which I have I've never, never heard, that heard that. And we live here. But I rarely read about the Chicago <laughs> I know. White Sox. So. I was thinking that too. I was like, when's the last time I even like searched out anything sports related on the internet and then read about it? Never. Yeah. Um, and so Jesse was saying that they think it's more of a print thing and probably no one says it out loud anymore. So get it out of the crossword. XOXO, Gossip Girl. So you're just spreading false information. I just believe you like a sucker. Yeah. I mean, have so you don't seen trust anything you, that Chelsea said. Have you basically? seen my bio on our website? 
check it out. Yeah. Um, it basically says she's a liar. It does. Okay. Um, and I, and I, and I, what is it? I'm going to let you try and figure it out. <laughs> and I stand by that. Revel in it? No. Is that what you're trying to no, say? No, I okay. stand by that. Cool. Um, hits and shits? Hits and shits. Let's do it. Also, thanks for listening, Jesse, and helping. Um, I have a couple hits. Well, I just want to say we've been really enjoying doing the USA Today crossword. Thanks, Eric. Yeah. Um, it's really fun and fresh and funky. And I'm just going to say a couple of clues that I like that I thought were yeah. funny that I don't think would ever make it into the New York Never. Times. Never. So one is from the December 13th USA Today by uh, Eric Gard, and it was 62 down, word after alley or and I, and it's oop. So alley oop, people mostly know that. Uh, and I oop is a, <laughs> like, famous gif slash Internet meme, meme thing. Um, which I feel like, a, I don't know, a lot of people know. Yeah, if you're on Twitter, you probably know it. Um, yeah. Or younger or but you know, watch YouTube videos. Yeah. It just made me laugh. Okay, and then he that also was so, has, I had that on mine too. It was so good. He has fifty five down um, on the December sixteenth puzzle by Eric Gard. Damn, Eric. And he's just. I think he's the only one constructing. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so fifty five down is behind these hazel eyes. Well, it was behind these hazel blanks. And nice. his eyes, which yes. is a Kelly Clarkson song, yes. which I don't think Kelly. they do at times. And then another one I liked um, was from the December seventeenth puzzle. It was fifty down. Catch you on the flippity flip. In quotes, and I believe the answer was later. But catching the flippity flip is uh, Michael Scott says that in an episode of The Office, <laughs> and he's trying to like say goodbye to the warehouse, but yeah. he wants to get a shot of him saying "catch you on the flippity flip" and then shooting a basketball backwards into the hoop, <laughs> but he like doesn't make it, so he does the shot like twenty times. <laughs> um, anyway, so that made me laugh. amazing. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Yes, no, we're thoroughly enjoying the the USA Today puzzles, and those are nice ones to kind of foil. The um, New York Times, because we print we print all the puzzles for lunch. And so um, it's, you get the New York Times, and it gets steadily more difficult throughout the week. And the USA Today is just, like, fun and fresh. And other people at the table seem to like them, too. Yeah. So, yeah, my hits and shits. Oh, Friday, December 13th, Leslie Rogers, New York Times. I really liked the opener of this puzzle. I liked the puzzle in general, but it was one across skin-tight swimwear for a surfer. Mm-hmm. Rash guard. Yeah. Um, I just think that's a good way to open the puzzle because, I mean, sometimes you get an opener and it's like, you know, Aria. I mean, I've never seen that, but like, you know, something really boring. And you like that because I remember saying like, oh, it's Rash Guard. And everyone was like, no. I trusted you. It was Corey. Everyone was like, it's wetsuit. Corey, I hear you out there. It was you. You didn't trust her. No, was like, you know, what's it was like, I think it was Adam. Well, no, we were, or Danny. I think it was Danny. They're like, what's it? a Rash Guard? I'm like, it's a swimsuit that comes up really high so you don't get a rash on your chest when you're on the surfboard. I 100% believed you. I was with you all the way. I also liked from that puzzle, it was the middle across clue, like the 15-letter one. It was the polar bear plunge answer. Oh, it was yeah. just nice to see cool answers like that. So that was nice. I have a shit. Hit me with the shit. From the New York Times, December 17th by David Levinson Wilk. Um, what a name. Uh, 60 down, the G of LGBT. New York Times, we've talked about this. First of all, no one has been using LGBT since, like, the late 90s. It's LGBTQ now. It's a bunch of other things now, but at least do LGBTQ. Hello. At the very least. You've done it before. I've seen it with my own eyes before. Yes. And now you're taking one step forward and two step back. So I'm, I don't think that's David Levinson Wilk. I feel like it's Will Shorts. But anyways, just putting that out there. Thank you. I mean, 
we really have seen LGBTQ in yeah, the freaking we were like, puzzles. Like, I've put it in my hits before. I'm like, oh, look at that. They're adding in the <laughs> Q now. And then they're like back to – I feel like even when I was in high school, it wasn't LGBT. Like, it was already LGBTQ. Right. Like, consistency is lovely. So yeah. let's do it. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, Wednesday, December 18th, New York Times, Margaret Sane, 35 down, East Coast 7-Eleven competitor. I didn't even get this clue. Grace got it. And she was like, I can't believe you didn't even see this and answer this. The answer is Wawa. And for any of you idiots out there who don't know what a Wawa is, I feel bad for you. Get your butt to a Wawa. Wawa, like, is one of the things living in Chicago that I think about with, like, this yearning in my heart to go home to. It's well, like, that's how people, Florida people feel about Publix. It's just, like, we. there's actually someone who is in our office as well who additionally loves Wawa as much as I do, but they get their coffee shipped to them. Jojo. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, you should go in on that with her. <laughs> I know. I really should. I love their, their Christmas blend. Um, whenever I go to Orlando, like, the last time I went to Orlando was, like, in February this year for my birthday, and they have Wawa's there. They it's do? Like, it's completely random. And so Just like, in Orlando or in Florida? Orlando. Oh. It's, like, part of, like, the Disney Universal complexes. They have the Wawa's there. Wawa's is in Florida and then in, like, the tri-state New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania area. Like, that's it. Um, first stop I went right out of the airport, Wawa. 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 And if I'm You're making any... you saying it so many times now. It doesn't even sound wah, like a real wah, word. Wawa. Anyway. Get your ass to Wawa. It's better than Turkey Hill. Um, I had another clue that I like from that same crossword. Yeah. Uh, it was 12 down, SNL cast member, Nuodim. I don't know if I'm right, but it's Ego Nuodim. And she is a new featured player. So that's like, I don't know, like a SNL. It's not an intern, but it's like the people who aren't like officially main cast members. But I think she joined last year or something. But anyways, ego is a common word we see in the crossword, and usually it's clued differently. So I like to see it clued as her name because she's really funny. Yes. And speaking of women being clued in the crossword, um, Monday, December 16th by Howard Barkin and Kevin Christian, 42 across, author Zora Blankhurston. The answer is Neil. And I just want to say I think it's funny that when we put – we have to like put – as a hit in our crossword when women show up in yeah. the New York Times. <laughs> Clued as women, like real women who have done real things. So We're not um, asking for much. Yeah. But anyway, if you haven't read anything by Hurston, you should. PSA. Um, I'm not going to do anything that you tell me to do. Good. Good. Be your own person. Anyway. <laughs> okay. That's it for my hits and tricks. That's, that's it. I'm good. All right. Shall we move on to the coin flip? Let's do it. Do it. Do it. Flip do, it. Do, do, do. You. Me. I feel like I've gone first for like 20 years straight. I think I went first last time. Did you? I don't know. I can't remember. It all blends together. It does. It does. Okay. My topic comes from the Saturday New York Times, September 14th, Ryan McCarty puzzle. 20 across. Ancient symbols of magic. Ooh. Ooh. The answer is sigils, spelled S-I-G-I-L-S. Do you know what a sigil is? Um, is that that, like, uh, the thing where... You write out like a bunch of letters to make a symbol. That's yes. That's that's part of a sigil. I watch too many witches on <laughs> YouTube. That I know that. Yeah. So when I hear the word sigil, I think it's probably because I've read like a lot of like high fantasy books. When I think mm -hmm. of sigil, I think of like Game of Thrones and like a uh, like the sigil of a like a royal house or something like that, or like a like a seal. Um, but it's more. It's actually like this, these magical symbols, it comes from the word sigillum, which is Latin meaning seal. And a sigil can also be a seal, which you like have on your ring and you can like 
Oh, like what I used to um, like close my envelopes with? Yeah, like when, you know, like the stuff that you seal your Christmas cards with. Yeah. And um, your taxes, for instance. <laughs> um, but sigils are symbols used in magic. So in medieval ceremonial magic, sigils were like signs that would represent different angels and demons that any one magician could summon to do their bidding, which is kind of cool. Um, and you could find these symbols, these signs for angels and demons in books called grimoires. And grimoires are basically spell books for you pedestrians out there. <laughs> for you muggles. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but grimoires didn't just have s- sigils to like summon demons and angels. They were also um, instructed on like all magical things like how to make talismans and amulets, invoke charms, practice divination, um, and study like healing magic. One of the most famous grimoires had a list of 72 demons and their sigils, which could then be used for summoning those demons. Um, And this book, this grimoire, was called The Lesser Key of Solomon. Um, And this grimoire specifically focused on demonology, which is the study and practice of summoning and controlling demons. Hmm. Ah! It's a fun thing to get into on a Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, if you're curious. Um, Of the five books of the Lesser Key of Solomon, the heirs Gotia holds the 72 demons and their sigils. And I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. Okay, so Solomon, as in King Solomon the Wise from the Bible, summoned demons? I think Solomon is just a common name. (laughs) So actually, the book, the Lesser Key of Solomon, is named after King Solomon from the Bible. But did he write it? No, we're going to get into some interesting things about King Solomon. Mm-hmm. I also just want to say that it's King Solomon the Wise, not King Solomon the Just, as it was originally put into a crossword a couple <laughs> weeks Let ago. Let it go, Chelsea. <laughs> Never! Um, okay, so did King Solomon the Wise summon demons in the Bible? Not exactly, but no, history... No, that's not allowed. <laughs> history slash legend has it that Solomon sent out an army of demons to seek a virgin who had fled from him. And that is the earliest version of what has then become known as the, quote, Testament of Solomon, which explains that Solomon controlled demons and made them his slaves. So the Testament of Solomon was originally thought to have been written by Solomon. That has since been disproven. Nevertheless, it is still associated with, like, the mythology of King Solomon, um, though it's not counted as canon in, like, Jewish and Christian, like, groups, to my knowledge. Um, There are actually a ton of religious texts that aren't canon um, that talk about Solomon's demonic prowess, um, but they aren't found in the Bible or the Torah. So what's the story? When a demon named Ornius was harassing a young boy who was favored by Solomon. And favored is like a funny little word that people use when it means like that the king was probably sleeping with this person. Um, So this demon, Ornius, stole half of this boy's uh, like pay and then sucked out of his vitality through his thumb. And that's really pissed off Solomon. I know. I hate when that happens. I mean, it's like, can I have my thumb back, please? Like, the F. So Solomon goes to the temple, prays a lot, receives a ring from the archangel Michael, which has the seal of God in the shape of a pentagram on it. And this seal and this ring will help Solomon command demons. So then the whole Testament of Solomon is basically just like a recounting of Solomon's encounters with all these demons and their sigil. So like he'll like capture them with the ring and then he now he knows the sigil to command them. Um, and these demons and their sigils are what make up the Aris Gotia in the Lesser Key of Solomon. Again, this is the most 
one of the most famous records of sigils in history. Um, and parts of this book were compiled for the first time in the 13th century. That's the 1200s. Um, but it was written much earlier. So that's interesting to think like. It's been going way, way back. Way, way so back. So there's got to be some truth to it, right? Right. So how are these sigils made? One way to make sigils is through magic squares or camius, I think that's how you say it. So you write out the name of the spirit or the demon or the angel. Then you convert into the square. Then you convert them to numbers. You locate the numbers on the magical square. And then you draw lines and you form an abstract figure. And that becomes the demon slash spirit sigil. Okay, but how do you find out the <clears throat> names of the demons or angels that you're trying to summon? I don't know any demons, personally. You have to commune with them. You have to, like, open, I don't know, I really don't know, portals to the other side. Maybe they come to you in a dream. I feel like this is false information. <laughs> Listen, I didn't look up how to, like, find a demon that hasn't been named before and then, like, name it. Well, that's your own fault. It's my own fault. Um now to a days in contemporary magic, sigils are not just used for summoning demons, but they mainly provide intention to magic. So contemporary witches and magic folk use sigils to cast spells, charms, um, and come to a specific end of their magical intention. Here's a quote for you. A sigil is a symbol you create with the intention of changing your reality in accordance with your will. All sigils are encoded with a specific purpose, for example, to attract a romantic partner, to set strong boundaries, to be more financially prosperous, or to heal your inner child. So most contemporary... I'm not going to... Okay. Some contemporary witches and magic people use sigils to, like, do spell work or charm work. We should make a sigil to get more listeners to our podcast. That's a good idea. We'll do it. We'll do it at lunch today. Yeah. See you later, folks. Um, sigils are also an important part of chaos magic. Are you familiar with chaos magic? No, I'm scared. <sighs> um, okay. So chaos magic is a contemporary magical practice, one of the many. Um, it was initially developed in England in the 70s, um, and it drew heavily from the philosophy of Austin Osmond Spare, who is an artist and an occultist. Chaos magic, magic is also known as success magic or re results-based magic. Um, <laughs> chaos magic sounds way <laughs> catchier than results-based magic. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So chaos magic rejects the idea of an absolute truth and views all occult systems as arbitrary symbol systems that are only affected because of the belief of the practitioner. Does this sound familiar to you? What? Law of attraction? Scientology. Oh. The secret. This idea of like willing. Okay, okay, first of all, Scientology and the Secret are not the same thing. No, it's the they're all. It comes down to like having a belief in a thing, and yeah. it's the belief that makes it possible. Yes, and it's. I think both of those things are based in this like occult idea. Dude, that's literally every. Well, not okay. Yes, when you're like praying, praying and stuff. Yes, that's what that is. <laughs> I wasn't gonna put Christianity on here, but like when he when it says that like. Chaos magic rejects the existence of absolute truth and views all occult systems as arbitrary. Occult writings, like just because Christianity is like like a mainstream religion, doesn't mean it's not like a magic type religion. In yeah, a way, you know, mm -hmm. it's like a different type of magic. But it's just been more like normalized. Yes. Like, oh yeah, people believe that, and that seems like seems normal. But someone for someone to believe in like occult stuff, it's like, well, I don't know about that. It's like, what is it really like that much more fantastical than what like <laughs> the Bible teaches? The right. Christian Bible teaches? Right. No, and I think yeah. So the difference between like the idea of prayer in like Christianity and like 
this chaos magic and sigils is that in Christianity there's usually like one truth or like this idea of like fate or destiny right or like that God has like you know he kind of like has the strings and he like knows what's happening well yes but you have free will yes whereas like in chaos magic none of that exists anything is possible it's It's like you control everything you control everything by your will yeah which is interesting so which is actually which is not that different from christianity actually i mean it's it really isn't like but we're not going to get into that so (laughs) that's next episode (laughs) we're going to really dive deep into the teachings of christianity (laughs) um in chaos magic sigils are um made by writing out your intention and then condensing the letters of the statement to form a monogram, which is what you said. Uh, that's what I said. Yes. Um, the chaos magician then uses the Gnostic state, which is like like a meditative state, to, quote, launch or charge their sigil. So they essentially bypass the conscious mind and implant the desire in the unconscious. This is why I think about Scientology, because it's all about the conscious versus unconscious in Scientology and, like, your will and, like, willing something to be true and just saying it a billion times and then it's real. So, after charging the sigil, it is then considered necessary to repress all memory of it. So, you charge it and forget it. It's like, set it and forget forget it. it. It's like my Instapot. (laughs) Um, And then the magic will work itself out in your mind. That is really what, that's like the secret law of attraction. That's what all that is. Yeah. So. It's like, put the intention out into the universe, make your order, and then stop asking the waiter when your food's coming. Yes. It's a metaphor I see a lot. Yes. So, like, literally, it's all it's all connected. Um, Everyone's just searching for the same thing. Yes, that's right? true. Everyone just wants some type of control over their life or some reason for why things are happening. Yes. Um, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some demons. Cool. Cool? Cool, cool, cool. Uh, I've got a couple, but I'm going to pick some. Okay, we're going to talk about King Paimon, also known as Paimon. Nice. So oh, the, I feel like that name sounds really familiar. Yes. You wait. What, Sabrina? No. Okay. So, the Gotia, which is in the Lesser Key of Solomon, notes that King Paimon is quite obedient to Lucifer. It is said that if you summon King Paimon and he doesn't bring his two buddies, Babel and Avalon, and you want them, then you also have to sacrifice something to get those other demons to accompany him um, because they're two kings and they serve underneath King Paimon. King Paimon rules over 200 legions of spirits which is crazy. Um, and he is described as a man riding a dromedary camel. Um, and he's preceded by men playing loud music, particularly trumpets. And he's often described as having a woman's face, but they still refer to him as using masculine pronouns. Interesting. Hmm. King Paimon is the demon reference in the 2018 horror film Hereditary. Oh, yeah. That's where I know him from. Yes. <laughs> so um, that's why I wanted to talk about Spoiler him. Spoiler alert. So, oh, Sorry. <laughs> Um, we're going to talk about Valak. The Lesser Key of Solomon and other sources agree that ranking Valak um, as a pre- – he is ranked as a president. So demons have rankings that, like, go from, like, king to president to, like, duke. And, oh, is like, there a democracy there? There is a little bit of a democracy, and I really couldn't get into it. There's so many ways to, like, rank demons and i just can't anyway just so you know valak is considered a president um and he has the power to locate summon and control serpents um and he is sometimes depicted as a winged boy riding a dragon um and he leads 30 legions of demons and the 2016 horror film the conjuring 2 has valak as the main antagonist taking on the form of a demonic nun and the crooked man in the rhyme there was a crooked man oh 
Yes. Although the character in the film has no resemblance to the actual demon Valak. Like, but whatever. I really like this one I'm going to tell you about. Astaroth, also known as the Great Duke of Hell, which is a great name. Yes. <laughs> um, and he is in the first hierarchy with Be- Beelzebub and Lucifer. And he, like, kind of, the three of them make the evil trinity. Ooh. Yes. So, quote, Astaroth is a great and strong duke coming forth in the shape of a foul angel, sitting upon an infernal dragon and carrying on his right hand a viper. It's claimed that this demon rules 40 legions of other, like, demons and spirits um, and has to be approached by the conjurer with a magical ring on account of its breath stinking. Cool. It's said that um, Astaroth's most powerful month is in August. Um, hey, it's yes. my birthday month. Yeah. Um, and since he is a demon in the first hierarchy, he seduces means of laziness by means of laziness, self-doubt, and rationalized philosophies. Philosophies. Oh, my God. Philosophies. He is an adversary to St. Bartholomew. I didn't know that the saints and demons were like... They're fighting. Frenemies. Yeah. Yeah, they're fighting. Um, and... So, to others, he's not as evil. He teaches mathematical sciences and handicrafts. <laughs> he can make men invisible and lead them to hidden treasures and answers every question formulated to him. He's a multifaceted demon, okay? Yes. He's not just about evil. He also likes math. <laughs> yes, obviously. We're going to talk about Baphomet, which is... Hoomst is... Hoomst is a deity, um, demon... This is the deity or demon that the Knights of Templar were accused of worshiping, which I thought was really interesting. I was reading about that last night, and I was like, I could do a whole podcast on the Knights of Templar being accused of worshiping this demon. Um, so there's a book called The Knights Templar and Their Myth, um, which talks about the Templars and, like, the trial of Baphomet. Uh, quote, in the trial of the Templars, one of the main charges was that their supposed worship of a heathen idol had known as Baphomet. Baphomet was also, like, they think potentially a misspelling of Mahomet, like Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the description of the object changed from confession to confession. So, like, when the Templars were, like, confessing, some Templars denied any knowledge of it. Others, under torture, described it as being either a severed head, a cat, or a head with three faces. Um, and then later in the 19th century, Baphomet became associated with the occult, a winged humanoid goat with a pair of breasts and a torch on its head <laughs> between its horns. Um, and that's the Baphomet that we know of. That we know and love today. today. So, yeah. Um I'm going to talk about two more types of things, and then I'll pass it over to Grace. But what are some other, like, sigil or, like, symbol-type magics? So there is an apotropic mark, which are symbols or patterns that are scratched into fabrics on buildings and whatever, and it's used to keep witches out, and they're sometimes sometimes referred to as witches' marks, a term that also is used to denote marks that are found on bodies of witches to like, like moles and stuff. To claim that they're witches. So like when there's witch trials, they'd be like, does she have a witch's mark? And if they found like a mole, they'd be like, that's proof that she's a witch. So like lots of women got killed because they had moles. I would definitely get killed for my third nipple looking mole. It's not a third nipple. Not that there's anything wrong if you have a third nipple, but just <laughs> where it is and it's very dark and weird. But it's anyways, a fact. That would um, be a witch's mole for sure. Yeah. So spoiler alert for anybody who is reading or wants to like watch Outlander or something. Um, there's a scene where um, they're trying to prove that this one character is a witch, and they find sh- this person travels through time, 
uh, and they find her smallpox vaccination, <gasps> and they use that and say that's a witch's mark, and so she gets burned at the stake. So don't vaccinate, guys. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Obviously. She's kidding. Don't listen to her. Um, another thing, uh, since we talked about voodoo in an episode mm-hmm. a couple, many episodes ago. Many moons ago. Um, I want to talk about veve, um, which is a religious symbol used in different branches of voodoo throughout like the African diaspora, such as like the Haitian voodoo. Um, and it's usually drawn on the floor by strewing powders, powder substances like cornmeal, wheat flour, bark, like gunpowder. Um, and it represents figures of astral forces. So in the course of like voodoo ceremonies, the reproduction of these symbols, um, these like production of these symbols, these veves, connects the people completing the ceremonies to the eoas, which we talked about in my voodoo section of that episode as being like the gods so that's how they can kind of like connect with the gods is through drawing these symbols so sigils baby you got lots of options out there people. you do depending on what type of witchcraft summon you like. your demons summon your angels you gotta have intent get more listeners to your podcast connect to the gods whatever you want whatever you want it's up to you find a witch find her and burn her no Chelsea. i'm sorry <laughs> um anyway that's it. That's it. That's, that's it. And that's all. all. Okay. So my topic is from the American Values Club crossword from December 12th uh, by Brendan Emmett Quigley, edited by Ben Tausig. And it was – okay. This was that weird one where it was all – I'd never seen it before. Oh, right. Where the, the marching band's crossword. Yeah. So I don't know how to describe it. Basically, it's like a target, but it's like a square target. And then the – the clues were, like, going around in a circle, like, clockwise. It was crazy. It was really fun, though. We had a lot of fun solving it. Yeah. Look, it was nice because the clues weren't too difficult. It was rated two out of, on a scale of five out of difficulty. So you were able to kind of, like, figure it out, even though it was very... It was new, yeah. and we were, like, reading the rules, making sure we understood it, and it helped that the clues were easy to just, like, yeah. you know... Get us started. Yeah. Warm uh, us up. So uh, this is five... Uh, clue 5A from the Rose, and it was Triple Crown Park, and the answer was Belmont. Ah, so very I'm going nice. to talk about the Triple Crown. Yeah. <laughs> Before <laughs> shit, it's Go fine. Ahead. Before I get into talking about the Triple Crown and horse racing, I would like to use this moment, as I often do, to point something out for something I was arguing about earlier um, in another podcast about how uh, we. I think I was talking about. Um, there's like the stereotype of in Asian countries that they like abuse dogs mm-hmm. and it's seen as being like, quote unquote, barbaric. And I was saying how we have our own versions of animal cruelty, but it's just so normalized to us that we don't like really see it as being barbaric yet. And in, in other countries have their own versions of animal cruelty, too. But we're like, oh, no, we we would never, never yeah. do that. So. Horse racing, I personally believe, is, like, cruel to animals. You can try to convince me that the horses like doing this, which is what a lot of people – they're like, these horses need to run. Okay. Then put them out in the wild. Well, you don't see horses in the wild forming, like, their own triple crown, like, (laughs) racetrack. Yes, they like to run, but not like this. Um, Anyways, there's a bunch of weird – a lot of money behind these horses. A bunch of weird shit happens once they retire. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this past year there's, like, all this controversy, like, more than – usual horses were like put down and when they like get injured during a race and have to get put down they get put down on the racetrack like they bring out um a tent a tent and like do it right then and there because i mean it can't walk and it's like 
very yeah. heavy, so they can't move it. And pain and yeah, I mean, there is a lot of money. Like the Queen of England has a like a stud, you know, like they yeah. like visit some national studs. Visit like these weird horse farms. And anytime you go to a horse farm, it's like this is one of our. Well, every time I went one time because my mom knew someone, whatever, and. They were like, this is one of our most, like, lucrative studs, but don't talk to him. He, like, doesn't like people. And the horse is just, like, <laughs> like looking over the fence. It's they're, like, no wonder mad. why he likes yeah. people. He doesn't like people. God. Um, but anyways, I'm including myself in this. Obviously, I'm not doing anything to help, like, the horses who are being right. raised. But I just wanted to point this out as, like, this is normalized animal cruelty that I'm about to talk it talk about. And I'm not even going to talk about the animal cruelty part of it. So I'm part of the problem. But I'm just putting that out there. Putting it out there into the world yeah, and then before... manifesting it. <laughs> I'm going to make a sibyl about it. Uh, before your sigil. 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 Before you point fingers at other countries, point your finger at yourself first. Okay. Look in the mirror. So let's, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> triple crown of thoroughbred racing is the official name, but it's just known as the triple crown. And um, it's awarded to, it's a, a trophy slash like prestige that is awarded to the three-year-old horse who wins the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness Stakes, and the Belmont Stakes. So I didn't realize this. Horses have to be three years old to run in these races. They can only run like once in their life. Cool. You have to be three. Um, Short career. Yeah. Uh, So this is only in the U.S. The term Triple Crown originated in Britain in the mid-19th century, um, and it also had to do with horse racing in Britain. Uh, It didn't become a an official trophy in the U.S. until 1950. But they did, like, award it to all previous horses who had won, like, hmm. whatever that's called. Not post. Posthumously. No, but, well, I guess the horses were probably dead by then. But anyways, they were like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you also run the, won, right. won the Triple Crown, but didn't exist back then. Right. Okay, so I'm going to talk <laughs> about the three different races. I'm going to start with the Kentucky Derby. Hit me. So the Kentucky Derby is held annually in Louisville, Kentucky, United States, on the first Saturday in May. Distance is about one and a quarter miles. And um, this is this part is the same for all the races, but I didn't know. So the Colts, who are the male horses, they hold 126 pounds. And then the Phillies are the female horses, and they hold 121 pounds. Yeah, so the riders are tiny. Yes, and they have to, like, if they are below that weight, they have to, like, have weights on them to get them to that same weight to make everything even. Um, the Kentucky Derby has the largest audience of any horse race in the United States. Mint juleps, anyone? <laughs> well, don't mind if I do. <laughs> okay, so when did it start? In 1872, Colonel Meriwether Lewis Clark Jr. The what grand- a name! <laughs> well, he is the grandson of um, William Clark of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah. So his parents were like, we need people to know we're related to Clark. Okay. So, well, it's weird because Lewis Clark, his middle name is Lewis, but he's only related to William Clark. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so he traveled to England and France, and there was, like, a ton of horse racing going on there at the time. He was like, ooh, I sure fancy myself some of this. <laughs> um, I think he said that. So then he came back to his hometown in Kentucky, and he organized the Louisville Jockey Club to raise money for building quality racing facilities just outside the city. The track would be known as Churchill Downs, named for John and Henry Churchill, who provided the land for the racetrack. Okay. It became official in 1875, so it's been around for a Big very long year, time. Big year, baby. Um, it has a lot of different traditions, one of them being the mint. Tradition! Sorry. <laughs> one of them being the mint julep, 
which is the drink of the Kentucky Derby, and um, that has bourbon, mint, and sugar syrup. There's also burgoo, which is a thick stew of beef, chicken, pork, and vegetables. It's a popular Kentucky dish, and it's served at the Derby. Mm. Um, They sing My Old Kentucky Home before the race. So basically, the horses come out and do a parade. Then after the parade, they, like, go into their posts, and everyone sings My Old Kentucky Home, which apparently is, like, kind of racist, I've heard. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Apparently... Apparently, uh, the Derby is frequently referred to as the Run for the Roses because a blanket of 554 red roses is awarded to the winner each year. They uh, lay it on the horse, don't they? Yeah, it's like a blanket of roses, and they kind of lay it over, like, the jockey's lap. So each race has their own flower, and I'll talk about the others later, but the Kentucky Derby is red roses, and they think that the red roses for the Kentucky Derby started in 1883 when New York socialite E. Barry Wall presented roses to ladies at a post-derby party. He was giving everyone a single red rose, which I would love to go to a party where all of the ladies get a single yes. red rose. We should do that. Um, yeah. we, should have a lady, we should have a party for ladies and only give out roses. Why don't you do that for your Christmas party? Good idea. Okay, we'll get some roses. They sell roses in December. I don't know. I've literally never bought a red rose in my life. (laughs) Um, So our friend, Colonel Merriweather, whatever, Lewis Clark Jr., um, he he went to this party and he was like, oh, I like that. Swag. So people thought that – this is like what is said. It's not 100% proven. But people thought maybe he saw that and he wanted to, like, include red roses, like, in the Kentucky Derby. So it kind of was, like, showing up in the race – for a couple of years, um, but it was not made like the official flower of the race until 1904. Cool. So the winner of the Kentucky Derby gets $1.86 million. Lots of money. While the second place gets $600,000, third gets $300,000, fourth gets $150,000, and fifth gets $90,000. And the winning jockey gets 10% of the winnings. So you actually don't get that. I mean, like if you get second place, you get, what, $60,000 as, a, as jockey? a jockey? Oh, that's pretty good. That's but the for, wi- for a race that lasts like 20 seconds or something? It's two minutes. It's Sorry. called the two. It's <laughs> sports Il- or some, I don't know, some sport publication <laughs> calls it like the most exciting two minutes in sports is or it, something. Is it though? You're watching. Oh, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Is it? So that's Belmont. Uh, or sorry. Ah, that's Kentucky Derby. Don't listen to me. Next is don't. Preakness. Preakness. I like the name Preakness. It's a good one. So the Preakness is um, the third Saturday in May each year at the Pimlico Racecourse in Baltimore, Maryland, and it's one and three sixteenth miles long. Um, it was started two years before the Kentucky Derby in 1873. Wait, why did th- quarter and three sixteenths mile? Yeah. Why is it like that? Who who who? <laughs> Who came up with the distance? They're like I don't three know. sixteenths, and someone's like no four sixteenths, and they're like no three sixteenths. You know, anybody out there know anything about miles and why they would? Pick well, that? it was probably just the like the space that they had. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I, just wondering. I'm just wondering. Sports it is are a weird, so random. Yeah. It is a weird um, measurement. So at the time in 1873, then Maryland Governor Odin Bowie named the race Preakness in honor of a horse named Preakness from New Jersey. <gasps> who had won the dinner party stakes on the day the Pimlico racetrack opened. Nice. Um, It's said to be the second most attended horse race in the U.S. after the Kentucky Derby. Uh, They have a couple of their own traditions. Before the race, the crowd sings their state song, Maryland, My Maryland. Um, 
And there, do states have state songs? <laughs> Apparently, I don't know what Illinois song is. Illinois, is not- Illinois on the river. I don't even know. Do we even well, have a river? I mean, yes, we have a couple rivers. Oh, we have the Chicago River. Yeah. Don't listen to us. Yeah. We'll have to look into the Illinois. What's, like, Florida song? It's like, Florida. <laughs> Just Florida. Florida boys, I love, love you. <laughs> Only true internet people would understand. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Preakness' official flower is the Black-Eyed Susan, which is Maryland state flower. Okay. But is it actually the <gasps> Black-Eyed Susan? <gasps> what? So black eyed seasons aren't in season when the race is run. Back in 1930, when the first supposed garland was presented to the winner, they were actually just yellow daisies with the center painted black. Wow. They were liars. You liars. Eventually, they realized that there's a flower called the Viking palm, which is a relative to the chrysanthemum. And it looks similar to a black eyed Susan, but the center is brown instead of black. And um, that's what they use now. Ah. Yeah. Uh, because Liars. of the, like, size, I mean, they're pretty small flowers compared to, like, the red roses. There are hundreds <laughs> of more flowers needed for to make the garland, hmm. but the garland itself is smaller than, like, the red roses blanket. Okay. Okay. At its first race, the Preakness winner um, got $1,000, and now they get $1.5 Ah. So, not that much more. Yeah. Um, keep in mind, the first race was in, what, 1873? $1,000 was basically $1.5 million yeah. then. Um, okay, now we're going to talk about the Belmont. Talk about it. The Belmont Stakes. <gasps> it's held on the first or second Saturday in June at Belmont Park in Elmont, New York. It is the longest race at 1.5 miles. Is that mm. a more uh, yeah, it's makes palatable a number of, for you? Yeah, okay. Yes. Good word. It's so I like the that. first Belmont Stakes was held at Jerome Park Racetracks in the Bronx, New York. Bronx. It was in the Bronx, which <laughs> like makes me laugh because yeah. uh, this was like in 1886. But it was built in 1886 by stock market speculator Leonard Jerome and paid for by Ar- August Belmont Sr., hence the name Belmont. All right. Um, it had its first race in 1867, so it is the oldest race out of all three okay. of them. Um, fun fact, the first horse that won the Belmont was a girl horse, a.k.a. a filly, named Ruthless. <gasps> what? And even though fillies have won individual races, so every, like, the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont have all had filly winners, um, They none of them have ever taken home the Triple Crown. Oh, babes. And then same for castrated male horses, which are called gelded horses, which I didn't know. Um, they have never won the Triple Crown either. Okay. Uh one horse came close. He won two out of three. He lost the Belmont, and his name was Funnyside, spelled C-I-D-E. Um, and weirdly, gelded horses for a period of time weren't allowed to race at all. Okay. But now they are. <clears throat> um, Funnyside was castrated for medical reasons, not behavioral reasons, because one of his testicles never dropped, and it prevented Aww. him from walking normally. All right. Check, please. <laughs> Check. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I don't know if this can be said, but does this mean you need balls to win the Triple Crown? You need testicles? Why? <sighs> Correlation is not causation, yeah. but <laughs> my eyes seems twitching. to be the history. I don't want the history. I want, like, my own opinion. So, like, don't give me any facts, please. Well, I, okay, 
I don't know, so this might be complete lies, but I thought this is like the vibe I got when I was researching this. I think there are some races where it's only like Philly racehorses. So it's like ladies only. And they've tried to make (laughs) a triple crown version for like the women and they wanted to call it the triple tiara, but it has not caught on. Uh, (laughs) Women can wear crowns too, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so the race uh, remained in the Bronx until 1905 when it moved to Elmont, New York on Long Island just outside of Queens. I didn't realize it was that close to New York. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though it is the oldest race, its traditions have been subject to more change. So until 1996, the song that they sang was The Sidewalks of New York. And then from 1997 to 2009, the song was changed to Frank Sinatra's theme from New York, New York. And then in, an, um, in 2010, the song was changed to Jay-Z's Empire State of Mine. Uh, New York's ever-growing and ever-changing. This says it was sung by Jasmine V. So I'm trying to imagine, like, in the other ones, everyone in the audience sings, like, yeah. m- my old Kentucky home. But I'm trying to imagine, like, everyone singing Jay-Z's Empire State <laughs> of Mind. <laughs> I know. Um, but they changed, that was, like, for one year only, I think. And they ch- then they changed it back to Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. New York! Exactly. Um, the official flower is the white carnation, mm. although nobody knows why, as it has no connection to New York. Okay. <laughs> um, however, pure white carnations do stand for love and luck. It takes approximately 700 select carnations, which are imported from Colombia because they aren't in season in New York, to create the 40-pound blanket draped over the winner of the Belmont Stakes. Wow. The winner gets $1.5 million. Jesus. So the Preakness and Belmont Stakes both took hiatuses from 1891 to 1893 and 1911 to 1912, respectively, due to, like, gambling laws and just weird stuff where they couldn't race. However, the Kentucky Derby has been held uninterrupted since 1875. Wow. Every single year the Kentucky Derby happens. Um, The Derby, Preakness, and Belmont all took place during the Great Depression and both World Wars, despite that Olympics and other major professional sports leagues were canceled at those points in history. Ah, People love their horse racing. They do. Okay. Have you been to a horse race before? Yes, I went to one at the Arlington Heights racetrack. I went to the one at Atlantic, in Atlantic City. Yeah. My dad, like, pulled me out of school, took me. And the racetrack is really fucking cool to be there. And when they only – they don't do racing horses there that much. I think there's, like, one weekend of the year where they race horses. Otherwise, they race um, dogs, which is, like, Greyhounds. another thing. Well, people <laughs> – Hey, animal or people only care about animal cruelty in the U.S. Has to do with dogs, right? <laughs> well, but I mean, they race the fucking greyhounds, and it's like okay, yeah, but because it, it's all about money. But whatever, the racetrack was cool. It's really fucking sad, though. So. Yeah, no, agree. I went to it. It was like fine. I mean, I love horses, but I was right. like, I feel like they don't like this, <laughs> so yeah. I felt weird. Yeah. Um, okay. So the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown races had been run for decades before it received its official name. Um, the term was in use at least by 1923 although the Daily Racing Forum writer Charles Haddon is commonly credited with originating the term in 1930. Um, So the races, it's like the Kentucky Derby. Two weeks later, it's the Preakness, and then three weeks later, it's the Belmont. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. It wasn't always like this. In the beginning, sometimes the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness would be run on the same day, so it was impossible to win the Triple Crown that year. It's like, get your shit together, guys. You have three races. Um, But yeah, two weeks and three weeks, that's not a lot of time for these horses to recover. No. So there have been 13 Triple Crown winners. Only 13. And the Triple Crown is when one horse wins all three. Yes. <laughs> Just getting – I'm getting back in line here. Okay. I'm going to read them in the year they won. Sir Barton, 1919. Gallant Fox, 1930. I like that name. Gallant Fox's son, Omaha, in 1935. War Admiral, 1937. 
Whirlaway, 1941, Count Fleet, 1943, Assault, 1946. Damn, what a name. I know. Citation, 1948. So basically every couple of years someone won up until 1948. And then someone didn't win until 1973. Wow. And that person is secretariat person. Yes. That horse is secretariat. <laughs> then, Have you seen the movie? Yeah. Uh, in 1977, Seattle Slew won. In 1978, Affirmed won. In 2015, American Pharaoh won. I remember that. And then uh, in 2018, Justify won. Mm-hmm. Additionally, 30 horses have won the first two but lost the Belmont. So, sucks to be them. <laughs> um, Sir Barton was the first winner in 1919. He was a British Triple Crown winner. And then he came to the United States to help set the pace for his more famous stablemate, Billy set Kelly. Set the pace. However, he went on to win all the races. So, <laughs> good job, Sir Barton. You showed them. You did. Um, the longest gap between winners is 35 years, and it's between affirmed in 1978 and American Affair and American Pharaoh in 2015. Wow, just kind of crazy to yeah think about. So American Pharaoh was the first one to win in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Secretariat won, he was the first horse to have won in 25 years. He had he set speed records in all the races. His most amazing win was his two minutes and 24 second win at the Belmont. He won by 31 lengths of horses and the record he beat was 25 lengths wow so yeah um he was the only non-human on espn's 100 greatest athletes of the 20th century (laughs) oh but he deserves that he deserves it he works so hard his race is actually really like insane to watch yeah i mean yeah amazing um, so people pay him $70,000 for him to impregnate. Well, they don't pay him. They pay his owner twenty seventy or $70,000 for him to impregnate their horses. Secretary is still alive? I think he is still alive. At the time that this article was written, he was. Um, so at the time, he had 453 kids, and none of them have come close to matching his track records. In fact, at the time this article was written, only two, Risen Star and General Assembly, had even run in the Derby. They came in first and second. Hmm. So, yeah, good job spending your $70,000 to Yeah, it's insane get the how firm. how much it costs to like get like a winning horse to stud your other yeah. year. Although, so when it comes to like um the Triple Crown winners, only one, like Gallant Fox won in 1930 and then his son Omaha won in 1935, but otherwise they're not related to each other. The right. rest of them. Yeah. So I don't know how much, but I went to one of these farms, like I was saying, and something kind of interesting is that, I think I've told you about this, like, they bring the studs out, and then they have, like, a fluffer horse, if you will, to, like, get them all hot and heavy. I don't know what makes this part, this is, like, a sexy horse in the horse world, but, like, all the horses (laughs) love this this mare yeah Yeah. so she like gets them all hot and bothered and then they like take the stud into um the stud room yeah to to like you know impregnate the mayor of whoever like the owner you know yeah Yeah. you come with like your own mother and then um you like every it's like done in a room with all these windows so people can watch because people need to make sure like i'm paying seventy thousand dollars for secretariat sperm i better like see it go into this horse and the horse there's like people there to make sure it happens yeah yeah and what they do in case you didn't know i've also been to a stud i went to the national stud in ireland they strap the mare into these feet guards like into the ground so that when like the stud comes in like she can't run away and yeah. then if the mare has had a recent pony or whatever, I don't know, baby horses are called, 
A foal, I think. Yeah, they can't be separated. And so the mare is strapped into the ground getting studded. And then her most recent child is in a pen right next to her. With, like, the biggest eyes in the world. Being like, what, Mom? (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Mom, you're embarrassing me. (laughs) So animal cruelty. (laughs) That's what happens. God. Okay. So Justify was the most recent winner in 2018, which was... I didn't even know that someone won a triple yeah, crown. I don't. Um, he was the first horse in 136 years to win the Kentucky Derby without having raced as a two-year-old. Hmm. So he was just like, I guess I'll try this when yeah. he turned three. <laughs> um, no, I'm sure it was more than that. Uh, after he won the triple crown, he retired, and his breeding rights were sold for $60 million. Jesus. That's why this is never going away, because this much money is being made out of this. Right. But there's drama about Justify. So after he retired, an article was published showing that he tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs after a pre-race. Um, so, like, not any of the main three, but, you know, you have to do other races to qualify to get into those. Um, so people are saying he should have been disqualified, and in turn, he wouldn't even been eligible to compete in the Kentucky Derby. People are saying he shouldn't have won at all. However, other people are saying, well, this drug is found in a weed that's prevalent in California where he lives, and it likely was not intentional. Plus, he had no drugs tested when he did the Triple Crown races. So you decide. Yeah. Does it even matter? Does any of this even matter? Why are we competing (laughs) horses? True. Um, Why do we care? Okay, so there's no extra prize money for winning the Triple Crown. You just get a coveted trophy. Um, and it's very coveted. There's only been 13 yeah. made ever. Um, as of this past June, the 1978 trophy awarded to trainer Las Pereira was on eBay for $500,000, which I feel like is not that bad of a price. No. I mean, so if you want, I, I couldn't tell if it was sold or not. I tried to find the listing on eBay and I couldn't find it. Um, it just showed up on there and it's, people are kind of unsure like how it got right. on there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so if you want your very own Triple Crown, you might be able to buy it on eBay. You got an extra $70,000 lying around? I don't know. Um, so yeah, that was 1978 by Affirmed. He was the one who won before American hmm. Pharaoh 35 years later. So yeah, that's it. That's the Triple Crown, baby. Nice. Speaking of horses and the Queen of England. <laughs> we weren't talking about the Queen of we England. We <laughs> but I'm thinking about it. So if you guys don't watch The Crown, I would highly recommend it. I do enjoy The Crown. But... And the episode that I just paused on from season three opens with the queen being really upset that none of her horses are winning their races and, like, how to, like, finagle the stud situation. Hello, queen. People have real problems. I Yeah. No. This was following the episode where the crown was like, we don't have any money. We need more money. We should raise the taxes on the people because we need more money to live in our palaces. And then, like, the public was like, you're fucking idiots. So... It's out of out of touch, out of date. So cool. Well, thanks. that's it. And that's all. That's it. And that's all, folks. This thanks for tuning in to another episode of Two Girls One Crossword. <laughs> Why do people listen to us? <laughs> we'll be right back here. Actually, we'll be here next week. Well, no, no, we won't. It's the holiday. We're taking a a little holiday break. We'll be on Twitter. Everyone, please enjoy time with your family, your friends, yourself, your pets, your loved ones. Treat yourself. Buy yourself a Christmas present, all right? Or any present. doesn't even need to be denominational. (laughs) Buy yourself a holiday, a December present. There it is. I buy myself a present every month. (laughs) At least once a month. Sometimes more than that. What are we doing? (laughs) All right. Well, if you want, you can follow us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. True. 
or Instagram, the Good Evening Girls. And yeah, that's, that's it. it. <laughs> that's all. That's it, and that's all. I'm uh, Chelsea. I'm Grace, and we will catch you on the flippity flip. Flippity flip. Later, latest alligator. <laughs>